You're listening to the Overeaters Anonymous Mid-Peninsula Podcast. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. For more information, please visit oamidpeninsula.org. Hi, everyone. I'm Lindsay. I'm a compulsive overeater, bulimic, restrictor powerless over food uh, and really, really grateful to be here with you all, to be here sitting in my... Hi, Hi. Is it Thana? Um, To give you just a little snapshot of my corner of the world, um, I'm in uh, Los Angeles. I am uh, in solo quarantine in in a guest house studio that I've been in for the last um, 16 months or so since I moved here from New York. Uh, I was born in Queens, raised on Long Island. I'm a New Yorker to the core, Um, but now I'm in LA. And uh, I'm here um, living a very simple life, a life that uh, if I were not in program, if I were not abstinent, I would never wanna see what this looks like. In other words, if I were in my disease, in this particular situation, um, it would be it would be hell. Um, so every day, I thank God for my abstinence. Um, I'm weathering some challenging stuff, as most of us, many of us, are during this pandemic and this time in our in our world. Um, and I'll get to that later. Um, but I'm going to tell you my story. I'm going to tell you uh, what it was like and what happened. And incidentally, played a huge part in saving my life. Uh, in the early part of my journey in OA. My life has been saved numerous times in different ways in this program. How, however, um, played a really big part in a big save early on. So um, my compulsive overeating disease definitely started to show up in childhood. Um, I had a strange uh, upbringing around food. My mom was very, very, very strict, very thin, would say things like this chocolate is too sweet. And she would just push it off to the side. Um, and I know that was, that was never anything I could relate to. Um, she, you know, she, she ate just very, very carefully and she had some pretty strict rules in place around what we were allowed and were not allowed to eat. Like sugar was pretty off limit. You know, fast food was only allowed like one Friday night a week and she didn't really like any of it. My father, on the other hand, is, is, was the literal sugar daddy. He would spike my special K with like Captain Crunch and then hide it and put it away. It's a true story. My father is in recovery for another addiction. Um, he got clean before I was born. That was such a contingency on my mom actually staying with him and having children. Um, but you know, he's always, he was like the one, like, like the fun one, but also like the one who was like causing some trouble. So it would be like, you know, we're going to like go to like, Dunkin' Donuts before you go to Hebrew school and like he would, you know, give me the sugar and the sugar daddy. Um, And I sort of developed pretty quickly, you know, it was interesting because we say like this is a disease we're born with. 
I personally believe that I could have ended up like my mom very much more ended up like my dad. Like my brother could take it or leave it. He was much more like my mom with me, with the sugar, with the, with the, with the, you know, the treats, the party foods. It was like, I never wanted to stop. Fortunately, I was um, a very serious athlete. I was a very competitive athlete, very serious athlete. Um, started really excelling in athletics, also gymnastics, dance, very, very active. I was probably burning through thousands of calories a day between the level of competition of sports. And my weight always just felt like a little bit higher than it should be considering how active I was. I was getting away with eating a lot of sugar. I was always like, you know, just kind of like playing the edge. And like, you know, it started to get to the point where it was like, I felt like I was losing control of this. It felt like a problem. By the time I got into high school, I remember saying to my parents that I think I have this like compulsive eating problem, something like that. At that point, I wasn't really doing anything to compensate, probably because I was so active. Um, and I was a really good girl. So like, I wasn't doing drugs. I wasn't doing alcohol. I was excelling. I was straight A student. I was, you know, I started to really kind of load on the accolades. And it was like, I think that there was just enough going on from like an outside egoic standpoint. And I was still thriving so much in school that like, there was just not really the space for disruption yet. Um, but this is a disease that we know does push-ups and just kind of hides and hangs out for like the right moment. And for me, the right moment was when I went to college. Um, I was recruited for sports. I ended up settling on an Ivy League school, not the one I really wanted to go to, kind of the one my parents wanted me to go to. And I was on the uh, varsity soccer team. And my first year there, it was like the first year that I was not the star, the first year that I was not like the captain, the MVP, the anything. But even more, I wasn't playing. I was not even getting time on the field. And I remember like standing at these tailgate parties with the cleanest uniform. It was as clean as this white blouse, which I am so grateful is clean because there was time in my disease where like I would never wear white, never wear white because I was going to like get into food at some point in the day. So like, why would I wear white? I can actually wear white today and know that it's like probably going to make it. Not necessarily, but most likely. But it was like this. We had white uniform, red font, uh, red font. <laughs> it's, all, it's all font. Red writing on the uniform. And it was clean as the day is long because I wasn't getting any playtime. And I would go to these tailgate parties and I would just start to overeat. And it was the first, really the first like awareness I had. And I had had moments where it was like hand to mouth and I felt like I was almost dissociating and who was doing the hand to the mouth thing. But I remember so distinctly when I was at those tailgate parties after not playing and how my emotions were so raw, how my ego was no longer able to keep me safe, how I was so upset and I had no, like, I just had no tools at that point. And partly because I didn't expect it, but I was going to like go there and crush it. And pretty quickly the binging became to the point where it was just like, this is, this cannot be contained. One, one day I went into my college dorm bathroom and it was the bathroom next to the laundromat. So it was noisy. The laundromat was noise. I made myself throw up and that was, that was it. That was the beginning of hell, basically hell on earth within a month, maximum two, I was walking in like a zombie state around this campus, binging and purging between 10 and 15 times a day. I was stealing food from my roommate. I was 
packing food in, in pockets from the, you know, the dining hall. I was driving in the car that my parents bought me around upstate New York, you know, binging, throwing up, throwing bags of vomit out the window to like 90s, like angst rock, you know, like, like singing and like, I mean, literally you can't even, my level of the compulsion, my disease was so severe. It was so intense. I could not stop. I was so desperate. I was so powerless. And I, I mean, I don't know what else I can even say. I don't need to get into the nitty gritty of it. I tend to not get into the nitty nitty gritty of it, but I will just say it was about as nitty gritty and horrendous as anything could possibly be. So I was really at that point, not sure, like, I, I almost felt like it was happening to me. Like it felt like this almost out of body experience. And I was just like, I need help. I need to be like checked into somewhere. I need to like go to eating disorder rehab or something. So I started to get help. And then I went inpatient. Unfortunately, it was like, not like a pretty, not to like glorify rehab. Rehab is rough, but like, it wasn't like a pretty cushy rehab. I wasn't like, you know, singing with the horses. It was like a psych ward and it was very, very traumatic. It was very, it was, uh, it was very traumatic. I'll just leave it there. Inpatient, get out. And then I do an, an, an outpatient program in New York City. And my father, who's in another program, as I've mentioned, he's like, look, Lynn's, at this point, it was like, all he can do to get a sentence in, because at that point I was blaming him for everything that I was at that point going through. And he was like, Lynn's, there's this guy in my program. We used to call him Big Tony. He now goes to Overeaters Anonymous, and he's not so big anymore. You should try it. And that was how I was officially 12-stepped into the room by my dad. He was my Eskimo. So I started going to OA in New York City. It wasn't really resonating. It wasn't really working for me. But I, there was enough that I was able to kind of glom onto. I started to get a little bit of hope, a little bit of abstinence. I was in an outpatient program, and I decided to go back to the college. I was going to transfer out of it, but no, I had started pre-med. I was like, well, I'm not going back pre-med. I'll go back as like an English major or, or theater or arts or do something artsy. And like, I go back and I get completely relapsed again. I go back to inpatient. I go back to college. Cut to, I meet a woman in OA who's in, who happens to also be in Howe. And she was just like, <laughs> I mean, I, like I didn't hide like my level of, you know, when I would go to these rooms, I would, I would tell it all. And that, that was a gift. Like it was, it was probably a problem with my internal boundary system. I just fucking, thank you. Thank you. I see that. I just let it all come out. And she was like, girl, like you need just come with me. So I went to how, and I got this book food addiction by Kay Shepard. I don't know if that's conference approved or not, but it's a sugar addiction book that I read back in like 1997. It had a very clean food plan. It was weighing and measuring. There was no flour. There was no sugar. It was the food plan and the program that allowed me to graduate an Ivy League school with like a 3.4, thrive in an English major, like in the English track at a, you know, one of the best, you know, literature and writing programs in the country. It was a miracle. I released all of my weight. I you know, and I graduated. I mean, I have like <laughs> diploma to prove it. I have pictures of myself during that time. And those women, I mean, they took me, I got very emotional when I was 
just in the, even in just the intros here. Cause I started, I just, I, I you know, I, I knew I was going to talk about this period of my time, which I don't often talk about when I qualify, but like, you know, I, they were so loving to me. They were so loving to me. They took me food shopping. They like picked, I'll never forget this woman with this blonde hair, Pat. And she would like help me pick out string beans. And I just wanted to like, <laughs> and like, it was like, she was loving me through helping me pick string beans out from like the market and have me over and cook me dinner and get me sober. And it was like the only thing that got me sober from food, from bulimia in that time. My journey after that was a period that then unfortunately dovetailed into anorexia. So I didn't become like full-blown anorexic, but I, I started really just restricting and cutting corners. And I think I just, I mean, I know I just, I'm, I'm, I had a lot of, you know, issues to work out. I had trauma. I had a lot of family of origin stuff. I had, I mean, it was just a lot. It was my twenties in New York. <laughs> and, um, you know, ultimately, ultimately I needed to kind of come back to a little bit more of, um, a place where I didn't have, I wasn't restricting or I, I wasn't staying off certain foods anymore. I still consider them my alcoholic foods to this day. I'm going to kind of move as I'm in like the back half of this lead, you know, this share. My dedication to the steps to OA, it was like the deeper that got, the more consistent I became, the better my life got. It was like all of a sudden, like my life just all of a sudden as a result of the work and God's grace. But all of a sudden, <laughs> my life started getting better and better and better. Up until two years and four months ago, though, I could not maintain back-to-back -back abstinence for more than like six months. It was like I just always went back to the food in some way. I either binged, I either had like a little purge. But the way that I have compassion for myself and my journey and my story is, and the way that I love my story, and I love, I love leading meetings. I love sharing because OA, how miracles program saved my life. The biggest miracle of my life today is that I am not over a toilet and that I have a beautiful life today. But I had to look back and be able to say, you know, I had so many abstinent days. I had so many abstinent days. I had slips. And, you know, I, I wish I had all back-to-back -back days, but I didn't have back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back for the last 20 years. I had more and more and more abstinent days. That was my experience. And that's how I kept getting better because I started to just love myself up in that and just see it as like, I'm doing the absolute best I can. I'm course correcting where I can. Do I need to surrender? Do I need to do the steps again? And P.S. I did do the steps. I've done the steps multiple times in this program. I did it with my house sponsor in, you know, back in the day, and I have done them since. But I only did them when I was really in pain, <laughs> and that has been like my my motivator is like when shit gets part of my French really uncomfortable. That's when I move. Like my, you know, my big book is right here and it's like, it's close because things are really uncomfortable in my life for today. And so it's like, I keep this really, really close, but the steps and the fellowship and the safety and the, and the tools, all of it is what has helped me and outside help. So what happened 
two years and four months ago is I had stopped throwing up. I had for the most part stopped binging, but then I picked up another habit, uh, which was chewing and spitting, which was another compulsion, something else that I didn't hear too much about in the rooms. It's a form, it's, it's bulimia. I mean, you're purging. I, I, you know, 100%. Thank you. I hear that or see that. Um, you know, I, and I talk about it because not a lot of people talk about it in the rooms. And, you know, so I like to share about it because it's another, it's another tentacle of this disease, just another aspect of powerlessness. And I had so much shame and I was really helped and healed by a fellow who was, had recovered from that too and made it a safe place where I can talk to her consistently about it, which I did. I was rigorously honest, which is how the big book says we recover if we're rigorously honest. We're able to be rigorously honest and we're not amongst the unfortunates who can't. So I would pray for the willingness to be rigorously honest and to keep talking about it. And then I just hit a bottom. Like I just was, I saw my whole life flash before my eyes and I was just like, like I, am, I, I will never get married. I am in my forties now. I am, you know, I, I want, I have big dreams. They're not happening. Like why not? And it just kind of all just landed, I believe from my higher power, which was just like, you must put your abstinence first, your program first without exception and work this like your life depends on it because guess what it does <laughs> and you can have like a low grade eating disorder and be in your compulsion and have your life kind of probably not work out how you want it or you can line up with God's grace and do that by putting the food down and with God's will so that's what happened I got real busy in New York I got a strict sponsor you know I got like she's she was amazing she was just really just brought me the steps in exactly the way she was total gift from God, exactly the way I needed them. I went to so many more meetings. I, at that point, pretty much had given up sugar. Like it was lifted. Like I just was like, this is not something I want to dance with. You know, I eat it rarely. And that's the same to this day. And it's the same for flour. It's not something I want to dance with. There's no bread sugar or anything in my house. I don't want it around. I eat it sometimes, rarely, it triggers me. So I tend to eat simply because that's what doesn't trigger me. But my life over the last two plus years has been in program, like a really strong program. I sponsor four people. I'm sponsored. I work, I'm working the steps again. Um, and it's great. And it got me out to LA to pursue my dreams, my goals, my ambitions, which I had started doing in New York. And then it felt really right. And like by the grace of God to come to LA that has worked out. But now we're in these incredibly challenging times and um, I am going through an incredibly challenging period as I lost my precious dog to cancer in April. He was the only, you know, he was mine, my baby, my fur baby, my, my precious, there are no words for this loss. And my whole family and like majority of my community is in New York and I've opted sort of not to go back based on everything happening with, you know, pandemic, et cetera. And I'm abstinent. So like the fact that I am abstinent through grief, and I mean like the hardest grief I have ever felt in my, I have never gone through emotions like this. I'm a bulimic. All I want to do is like binge and like purge the emotions. I want to spit up emotions. I want to run from them. I want to deny them. I don't want to sit with them. the fact that like I have been able to sit with these feelings and process them and cry as much as I've cried and not reach for the food more than like little bits and bobs that are not binges, but just little occasional overeating. It's not perfect, but it's like, it is, if ever I needed proof positive that this program works, I have it. 
Um, and so thank you. I'm in my final two minutes, which is perfect timing. So, um, you know, my, my message to newcomers is first of all, like there is hope. I was a bottom case. I was hospitalized seven times. That's how many times I was inpatient. And I did as many outpatients up until, up until 2005. Um, I, you know, have really amassed, um, quite, um, quite, quite an amount, quite, quite a trail of wreckage, um, from my past. And I can simply say today that I do not regret it, nor do I wish to shut the door on it, that I am actually strengthened by my story and my resiliency and that I've survived. And that I know that it's in the rooms and it's in the collective and it's in my relationship with God, my higher power, I choose to call God, that I am here and able to be this strong and this courageous. And like, one of many, because we're all strong and courageous, wherever we are in the disease, simply showing up to these rooms is a strong and courageous act. And, you know, I'm going to be getting off this meeting when we're done. And like, I'm ending our relationship, this virtual relationship I've been in, like, I'm, 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 I've been very anxious all day. So it's like, I've been doing more service, calling newcomers, I'm here doing it. And like, just that I'm even able to like, make choices around relationships that are so much more strengthening and healthy for me than I have and was able to in the past that I'm able to use my words like but that I will with this man it's like that's just these are all just the blessings they're the different kinds of bells and whistles like when I first came in I was like you know I wanted just all the shiny all I wanted all the cash and prizes now I just want like serenity love freedom from food obsession which by the grace of God I have and like the willingness to do today what I did yesterday because if I do if I do today what I did yesterday, unless there's any course correcting to make it better, like I'm gonna be abstinent again. Because it worked yesterday. And like I wake up untreated, so I do it again and again and again. And the next thing you know, you're like, oh, I've got two years and four months rather than like a trail of wreckage. So that's I think my time. I'm so these 20 minutes, they're like lengthy. I get a little sweaty. <laughs> Thank you for receiving 20 minutes of me talking and sharing my experience with and hope. I really look forward to hearing from all of you. So thank you very much for letting me share.